Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feiderman, Steve Rosso, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, check out shares of Costco jumping 4% after reporting earnings moments ago. The conference call is kicking off right now. We'll bring you the latest details. Plus, we are going yield hunting. Some of the highest dividend-paying stocks are soaring. The traders tell you the names they still think have more room to run. But first, we start off with the market sell-off. Stocks getting slammed today, down more than 300 points at the lows of the session. The market now on track for its worst week of the year. And we are starting to see cracks in the market spreading. Transports now down for the 10th day in a row, the worst losing streak in more than a decade. Small caps are getting smacked, falling deeper into correction territory. And the chips, they're getting crushed. So as many of the things that let us hire are looking like they are breaking down, is it a sign that the worst is still to come? How bad could things get, Tim? Well, think about how good things were. And I, I think, you know, this is really a case of we've oversold, overbought, um, et cetera, repositioning. But look, the market over the last few days is telling you it's very concerned about growth. It's not worried about inflation. It's not worried about trade. Um, it's worried about growth. Look, you have treasuries down at 264 on the 10-year. Um, look at what's going on with the dollar. The dollar is rallying because the ECB today should also have you concerned. So the EC- basically Draghi in there saying we're not doing anything anytime soon. In fact, negative interest rate policy is here to stay, or so it seems. Terrible for European banks, which, by the way, are a systemic risk for the global economy as well. So um, I look at the dollar up 75 basis points. That's usually a sign of risk off. I look at the 10-year Treasury. We're down to 264. That's telling me, look, at 260, we break through there. I'm worried. And we're at the 200-day down stocks. So, look, for people that have said this was overdone, they were absolutely right that I think, you know, let's wait to see where this settles. I don't think we are going to Retest. I don't think um, we're even going to get close to retesting. I think Friday we're going to be reminded that we have a decent payroll number. You know, it remains to be seen whether we're going to test or retest, but I agree, I agree with Tim. It was all positioning. I think we got way too pessimistic, way too optimistic on the way up. There's zero growth. German PMI is, is basically at 74-month low. I mean, this is, there's no growth. There's no growth in Europe. Growth is, is uh, cascading lower here. I do believe we'll test lower levels. I'm not sure if it will be the lowest levels that we've seen. So uh, Tim just mentioned uh, 264 on the 10-year. You get worried below 260. You know, when you think about the late 2016, all of 2017, the narrative was that stocks and bond yields can go up at the same time because the 10-year going back up towards 3%, almost doubled off of its lows in 2000, was bullish, right? Because it's a reflection of kind of this reflation in global growth. Well, now I think it works the other way in in a lot of ways because, you know, the stock market is still not a whole heck of a lot from its all-time highs, but there doesn't seem, if you just look at the uh, interest rate uh, expectations, you know, zero, uh, zero increases for the rest of the year here. So this 264 is reflective of the fact that there is no growth. And I just think that what happened with the ECB, we know that Mario Draghi 
will do whatever it takes. The difference between now and 2012 yeah. when he said that is that there are negative He's got nothing left to do. Yeah. Well, that, that's the point. He's got it's nothing like left what's to do. left in the toolbox I, so we could have a situation. I, I get what you're saying, but when, when Mario Draghi comes out and basically says negative interest rate policy for the foreseeable future, at least yep. through the end of this year, yep. that puts a weight on our Treasury yield. So should we really interpret the 10-year yield of 264 as an indictment of growth here in the United States when we're really being tethered right to what's going on in around yeah, the world. I agree. I know. I think it's that's a different issue going on, right? So I think the, it really solidifies the Fed absolutely being, you know, not a factor for a long time. That I think is a material event in the market. So as we wait for a trade deal, which is fairly priced in already, right? What we, if we see a hiccup in a trade deal, that's really going to be bad. We're going to see volatility really spike and and, and a, you know, probably a pretty aggressive sell-off. I think we will see a trade deal. So I don't know that we get there in a straight line. That, to me, is the biggest risk to the market, bigger than some of the other factors, bigger than what data we see on on uh, at the end of the week or tomorrow, I guess it is already. And then we'll start to see some earnings. But I don't think we can really see earnings power accelerate until we have some clarity. Well, here's the other thing. So you're talking about clarity, right? And you're talking about corporations putting money to work, capbacks. We have not seen a a boom that we expected to be unleashed after those tax cuts in late 2017. And, you know, any deal that you get before Q1 earnings next month in April is going to be a deal that the market doesn't want. I'm just telling you. I mean, think about it. That New York Times story that came out today, there was a leg lower when it said that the Chinese may be not so in in such a big rush to do the deal that Donald Trump wants. It's set up. It's set up so for a sell the news event. I'm not I'm not sure, you know, maybe there'll be a little pop on the day of Mm -hmm. the news breaking, but I can't imagine it be a long lasting pop. And when you start to talk about the ECB, that they're out of bullets, our Fed only has 250 basis points of bullets. What's that going to do for an economy if, if the economy slows? But, well, they but, have balance but, sheet bullets. But, but balance sheet bullets that they're still doing QT, that they're unwinding. So if but not, if you're saying they don't have bullets, they're still, right, that's, that is a lever they could pull. Or they, a lever, they, if Brian were here, he would say You need 500 basis points on average to pull an economy out of recession. You need a vast, strong, softening curve for the yield curve. You need, be, you need them to throw everything. It's got to be protracted. I don't think there's going to be a protracted and deep, deep dovishness of the Fed. He's got to cut rates well, and he's only got 250 I, basis points to play around. I, 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 a lot of responses, but you know, I, I'll say this. I don't, I don't know that 500 basis points is a rule of any kind. Just historically. I, 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 okay. I, I do think you've got a dynamic here where the Fed, um, we'd like to see the Fed get to normal and therefore we're all a little disappointed and the balance sheet is certainly another place where um, we've only taken you know, 11% off the balance sheet's peak size. Okay, So there's, there's big issues here. Um, but let's put this in the context of where the economy is right now. I, I don't care what you say. I don't care what the ECB is telling us. The U.S. economy isn't close to a recession. So um, if this Fed is very, very easy, if global conditions actually stay very, very accommodative, these were the things we were most worried about nine months ago, 12 months ago. So yes, we're late cycle, but you know we've reassessed on expectations on a lot of stocks. And yes, we rallied back hard, so let's not get carried away. I don't think we can test 3,000 on the S&P anytime soon, but I don't think we're testing 2,300. But everything that you just said, so EPS has flattened or gone negative. Uh-huh. Margins have peaked and GDP is went from 4.2 a couple of quarters ago to 2.6. And now with estimates to maybe be below 1%. 
So I don't, I don't disagree with anything you said about the economy, but when you look at the backdrop of the fundamentals, I'm not sure you want to be paying anywhere close to the multiple that we said. Except for the fact that we've had periods, 2015 for sure, even early 2016, um, where we were paying a, an enormous multiple for equities because, in fact, rates were nowhere. The earnings re, the, essentially, the earnings premium, the, earnings, the yield premium on equities was much more attractive. On a discount rate, basically, if anything, equities get a lot cheaper when your discount rate goes lower. They're worth more. So... Um, I, I look at the environment and I think I don't like everything you guys are saying sets up for a nasty, nasty situation somewhere. Um, Fed out of bullets, other central banks deep into negative territory and global debt in negative yielding territory. But guess what? It's not happening anytime soon. And, and you get to a place where I think a lot of companies also who put the brakes on capital spending, who put the brakes on any kind of investment, I think are going to get back into the game. If you're listening, Grasso, at home and and you're listening to what no, you were right saying. Here. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> One would think that you are doom and gloom at this point, that you are negative the market. Because to, how can you be constructive of the market? I think you need to recalibrate. I think you really need to readjust where the market, where the market is, what you're willing to pay for it, and you're not in a global synchronized softening. You're not. You're not in a dovish state you're anymore. You're in a global you had, synchronized dovish. You had an ECB phase, throw an un- Does that unbelievable mean amount. Un- unbelievable amount of, of, of aid towards their markets in 2015. And here we are with all of the European markets pretty much where they started in 2015, and they have zero GDP. So all of that easing that was thrown on the marketplace did nothing. Okay. So we were talking about positioning earlier. Is the positioning on Wall Street such that everybody is negative Europe? And that, that the outlier situation is actually an upside surprise should China stimulus actually kick in. Yeah, but here's the problem, right? So, so I keep hearing this, the third year of a presidential cycle, it's really good for stocks. Okay, well, here we are. It's March 7th, and the stock market's up 10%. Okay, so like as far as I'm concerned, I don't really see what the upside is, considering the fact that the likelihood of the most important positive catalyst would be global reflation mm-hmm. in growth, right? And that's not going to be something that we're going to start to see green shoots up anytime soon. I know you think that Europe and China might have bottomed. There's no indication anywhere that that's actually been the case, other than the expectation of more fiscal and monetary stimulus. That's it. So I look at what's going on here in the U.S., and I say we're up 10 percent. I'm looking at the Nasdaq got rejected at 76.45. I'm looking at the uh, S&P 500 got rejected at 2,800. You know, I look, so I look at the, ask, the Russell 2000 down 5 percent just from yeah. its recent highs. And I say to myself, we're probably going to be trading in ranges just like we've done for the last 18 months. But there will not be new highs. And the likelihood is that we do see the S&P back towards 2,500, 2,600 at some point in 2018 or 2000. Well, let me ask you something. I, 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 a lot of what you say has absolute merit, right? Yeah. We've seen some of the data is not supportive of, of uh, Europe growing. But if we were to get... It, uh, what? A lot of it was silly. A lot of what he was saying was still. Okay. Let me just <laughs> ask you: a In a rate environment like this, with yeah. a Fed put and an ECB put and around the anymore. world put, it's not a put anymore. Okay, that's my question. Yeah. You don't it, think it's, it's a, a put it's anymore? It's just not. It has years, proven to be a put. Ten years into the cycle, if you go back and you look at all the iterations of QE and what happened to the market before they came, it was just desperation time. Balance sheets, corporate debt balance sheets, and sovereign balance sheets were in a different place. Things were very fragile. Now I think to where we are in 2019, ten years on, and I'm saying to myself, look at how big these balance sheets of these sovereigns are. What are these? bullets that they have right. to do. We have this this four and a half trillion dollar balance sheet was less than a trillion when we started QE back in 2008. Massive so to deficits me, too. I mean, right. we just had a terrible deficit right. number, uh, you know, two days ago. Right. So, um, I, look, again, I think we have to think about this in the context of, of where we are in the markets. You guys are talking about two years out. I, I don't... 
Mm-hmm. All right. Our next guest says, do not fear the sell-off this week because the bull market is not dead. Let's welcome back Jeff Mills, PNC Financial Services Group and co-chief investment strategist. Great to have you back, Good Jeff. Good to see everybody. Um, we've got a lot of doom and gloom on this desk here tonight. Yeah, uh, but you say so new, new highs are coming this year. So what drives us to new highs? Yeah, look, I think where we are today, we were bound to get here, right? I mean, there was no way we were going to sustain the momentum that we saw in January and February. And if you just look at some of the complacency that was building up under the surface, I mean, the put-call ratio collapsed, bulls to bears started to expand again. And if you extrapolate from the options market, what that was pricing in from a sentiment perspective. You can look at, you can back out the probabilities for different market moves, so 10% higher, 10% lower. Options market was pricing in the probability of about a 7% uh, 7 probability of a 10% move lower. So that's only in the 32nd percentile of observations over the last five years, where if you look at a 10% pop, pricing in a 3% probability. Now that's lower, but that's in the 62nd percentile over the last five years. So that's tilted to the bullish side as well. So I think ultimately that complacency needs to come out and the market needs to be doing what it's doing. Can you believe what you believe and that is the markets will hit new highs this year and also believe what they are saying in terms of their outlook eventually for global growth and the U.S.? So here's what I think is being underappreciated a bit. And it's only early days here, but it's starting to smell to me a little bit like 2015, 2016, where global PMIs were rolling over. Earnings growth was decelerating. Everybody was talking about potential for a global economic recession. All of a sudden, China steps in from a credit growth perspective. The global economy reaccelerated and markets reacted positively. If you look at what China's been doing from a stimulus perspective, the credit growth numbers out of China in January were big. 3.2 trillion yuan lent by financial institutions, the largest month we've seen since 1992. I actually brought a chart along with me. I, they said they could throw it up on the screen, but it actually looks at the Chinese credit impulse versus manufacturing PMI. This is versus the U.S., but you can map any region to, and it probably looks similar. So with a lag, that increase in the credit impulse over a six-month period actually will bring PMIs up with it. So it looks like it's bottom. So maybe halfway through this year, you start to see a stabilization. Right. So, Jeff, Jeff, when you look at China, though, China has tried over 50 different stimulative measures. None of them have worked. Over and what time frame? Over the last year or so, basically. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's into the 60s now, actually. Yeah, all right. So yeah. in the 60s, nothing has worked. And back to the point you're talking about, the ECB had a whole bunch of bullets left. They were putting massive stimulus on. They don't have it anymore. How can it be 2015, 16? I, I go back to the China credit story. Those but it's Jan- just China. So if China, if China doesn't work, then, then it's, it's all else I think all that's, else a, that's a big part of it. And you've heard Draghi say in some of his comments that internal demand is actually decent in the Eurozone. He, he mentioned a lot of external demand issues as it related to China and EM. So those credit numbers were big. And if that's any indication that Chinese stimulus is going to work, then I think you could see maybe not a reacceleration like 2015, but at least a stabling uh, out of global growth. And I think that that removes the fears of a potential um, economic recession globally. And if you think about what has happened with U.S. earnings, so look at companies like Apple, Micron, NVIDIA, just those names alone have led to almost 40% of the earnings expectations deceleration in the first quarter. So those companies have huge revenues exposure to China, 20% from Apple, 50% from the other two names. So if you start to see some stabilization there, some of those names increase expectations. And I think that puts some support under the market ultimately. So markets in a Fed tightening cycle, we see multiple contractions. So we're not in a tightening cycle anymore. So we think. Um, and you back to 2015, 16, markets traded a high multiple. I totally agree with you. What's the multiple here? 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's the question, right? You can, you can back into what I think is reasonable earnings. So I think you talk about 4% revenue growth that kind of converges with nominal GDP. You get 2% share count coming out of the market from buybacks. It right. gets you to about 6% earnings. So then what is the correct multiple? I think we can maintain the multiple turn higher that we've seen. I think the Fed probably priced in, a trade deal probably priced in, and things have to go right in that regard. But I think you can maintain the turn higher. I think those risks have been justifiably priced out of the market. So you take 17 and a half times on trailing earnings. You say we get to 172 this year. That gets you to 3,000 by the end of the year. Things have to go right, but I think that's a plausibly optimistic scenario right now. All right, 3,000. Jeff, good to see you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Jeff Mills, PN. Uh, let, let me tell you a big difference between 2015 when we did have that global growth um, scare. Taking back to the U.S. stock market, what really outperformed? It was FANG, MAGA, whatever you want to call it, you know what I call it. Those stocks, people were crowded in because they weren't as dependent on this notion of kind of global growth. It's really interesting to me right now that that group of stocks is kind of sitting out right now. And then the other one, and we talk about it a lot, and I know you guys like the banks, the U.S. banks here, they're so much better levered than they were, you know, this and that, whatever. You saw what happened in Europe. You see what's going on with these banks. We've seen banks in, in EM. It's a real disaster right now, and our banks just can't rally. So the fact that we have FANG, MAGA, sitting out, and the banks are just stuck in the but, mud. But this week me, we've been talking about FANG's been coming back, and that actually these are the things that could, uh, maybe you haven't been. No, but the point it, is last that week, this conversation we is all over the map, isn't no, it? No, I mean, but, but what I'm saying, what did I just say? Back in 2015, there was a lot of money that was hiding out in mega cap, expensive um, U.S. tech growth, okay? They're not doing that right now. So to me, I think that's a big difference. And the fact is, if you were going to see some sort of reflation, you would see our banks acting much better. And when you look at the Euro stock bank index but, trade but away I, I today, hear you talking God. about our banks like they're European banks. It's not even close. I'm not. I mean, we, Tim, we, Tim, th- Tim, I'm obviously not. What I'm saying is here, they're not participating. And it's kind of troubling when you see, you know, the outperformance in other more cyclical areas that may not get what they need from, you know, this trade that was supposed to happen when we got a Chinese trade deal. Okay. Well, um, I simply would say I don't think our banks have really participated in the rally for much of the last 15 months, um, and I don't think that's an indictment. So what's happened to the market for the last 15 months? It's gone nowhere. You know, you know what I mean? So, so what I'm saying, I'm not saying we're crashing anytime soon because Citi can't, can't get above 63 bucks or, or J.P. Morgan can't get above 108. What I'm telling you is that we may be in this range, that 29.30 on the upside to 23.50 on the downside for some time, and we may not have any answers to all these questions that we try to answer every night here. Coming up. It's a beer run. Shares of butter up more than 20% this year, but could the stock be about to suffer the same fate as consumer peer Kraft Heinz? We'll tell you what's got Wall Street so worried. Plus, check out the high uh, dividend-paying stocks that are soaring this year. The traders will tell you which names they are chasing higher and the ones they're leaving behind for greener pastures. And later, despite the sell-off, there's one stock jumping today that Steve here says is about to break out. He will give us his fast pitch. For your life in Times Square in New York City, much more fast money right after this. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. 
To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Anheuser-Busch and Bev ailing in today's session. Uh, it is our call of the day. The stock is down more than 2%. After RBC downgraded the big brewer to sector perform uh, from their top pick, the stock has been bubbling higher this year with an almost 25% rally since January. But the analyst notes the margin pressure the company faces is similar to that of the ill-fated Kraft Heinz. Legendary short seller Jim Chanos had actually made the same comparison between the two stocks just yesterday on Twitter calling Bud the liquid Kraft Heinz. So is Bud, could Bud be the next Kraft Tim? Well, I like this concept because when I think of Bud, I also think of another commonality to Kraft, and that's 3G Capital, which is the big Brazilian private equity firm that's partnered with Berkshire Hathaway. It's been a part of so many deals, whether it's Burger King, Tim Hortons, you name it, where it's all about consolidating places where the top line's not growing, and it's really about bringing assets together and driving financial engineering, driving cost savings, and not really being worried about anything else. So, look, 3G's done really well, but if you think about what's going on in the food producers, it's the same thing that's also going on in beer. There's, there's no top-line growth. In fact, you have declining sales. Um, so I, I think this is a really interesting comparison. And in fact, I think I'd be cautious on valuations in the beer sector. I'm not going to tell you they have accounting regularities, but I will tell you that the same approach to zero-budget accounting, and this is what 3G Capital does. I, I've, I've been investing in Brazil for a long time. I mean, this is where this company has put some of their best smarts. They're incredibly smart guys, incredibly successful, partnered with Warren Buffett. But at some point, you have to have top-line growth, and you have to have more than just a catalyst, which is bringing companies together and spinning out inefficiencies. Yeah. Karen. So I, I don't have a position in, but I just wonder what I hear you. And a lot of what you're saying makes sense. I thought it was somewhat of a different story in terms of the acquisition spree of Bud. But I, 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 conceptually, it's the same thing. What is the right multiple then for this company with little to no growth? I don't know. It doesn't seem crazy expensive. It doesn't seem crazy, although, well, on a trailing basis, which whatever you want to do with that, it's trading 36, 37 times. So I think it's expensive. Look at what's happened to Constellation Brands. Look at, again, some of their core, um, kind of their beer business is is an export business, is Modelo, is Corona. Um, I I think the sector's got issues. I think there's secular issues. We could even bring up cannabis. But I don't think that's that's not the call. But that's one of the things that's affecting these guys. I think there's substitution. Brown liquor, um, spirits, I think they're playing into this. big part of the call is that their EBITDA margins over the last 10 years have been negative, right? So the only way, the reason that they've had this pos- on an organic basis, but the positive margins they've had are based on the roll-up, and here's a company that has $110 billion in debt kind of putting this thing together, and then you put these kind of secular headwinds that they have, you say to yourself, trading it 17 times with no growth, um, you know, it's kind of dicey. I don't know what uh, people are saying on Twitter, what is the next this or that or whatever, but the last thing you want to be doing is holding the next one of those. Just look what happened yeah, to Kraft yeah. last week, and don't get like you know when you see Berkshire number one holder 3G number two holder you know that's not the way to do it to give yourself a, a you know a false sense of confidence you know so the technicals on this these those are the fundamentals the technicals on this is trapped between the 100 and the 200 day moving average the 100 uh, is basically at 75 the 200 to 85 it's smack in the middle 80 bucks use those as your sidecars all right I'm Melissa Lee you're watching Fast Money on CNBC first in business worldwide in the meantime here's what else is coming up on Fast It's yield hunting season, and some of the highest dividend payers in the market are soaring. The traders will tell you which names they think are worth chasing. Plus, Steve Grasso is stepping up to the plate to pitch one stock that's surging today amid the sell-off. He'll tell us why he thinks this is just the beginning of a bigger breakout. There's much more Fast Money right after this.
Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Markets may be selling off, but a number of stocks still managing to yield some big gains. Bob Bassani's down at the NYSE to break it down. Hi, Bob. Hi, Melissa. The S&P is down for seven of the past eight sessions right now. The market leadership groups like the transports, the Russell 2000, semiconductors, all the industrials, they've underperformed the markets today and really in the last couple of weeks. That's been a big issue for a lot of people. But the debate is about whether this is signaling some kind of broader slowdown. The economic news in China and Europe has not been good recently. Now, some of this may be simple profit-taking after most of these sectors rose 20% or more off their December lows, so it's understandable you'd have some profit-taking at this point. The important thing is the Treasury yields, a separate story, they're down again today. Ten-year yields, 2.6% sitting right near their lows for the year. Meantime, some very high yielding stocks with dividend yields over 4%. They're doing very well this year, including Cody's up about 70%. Philip Morris is up nicely. Western Digital's up 26%. Exxon Mobil's up 17%. General Motors also up. Now on the surface, this makes sense. With interest rates remaining low, high dividend paying stocks would likely be more in demand among those looking for yields. However, the strategy of buying dividend payers in general this year isn't providing a huge payout. The largest dividend-focused ETF, that's the Vanguard Dividend Appreciation ETF, the symbol's VIG, is up 9% this year. Another big dividend ETF, the Vanguard High Dividend Yield ETF, goes for the highest dividend-paying companies. It's returning about the same, close to 9%. That is about the same return as the S&P 500. This also includes high dividend payers like Verizon, Pfizer, ExxonMobil as well, Johnson & Johnson, and Procter & Gamble. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob. Thank you, Bob Bassani at the NYSE. Well, this sounds like a perfect time to play a game because we haven't played a game since, like, yesterday. Uh, <laughs> yield hunting. Here's how the game works. We will use a name like Exxon up 17% this year with a dividend of 4%. If you're buying that name, you'll see that, meaning you're hunting for the stock. You like it. You're hunting. If you'd rather it. let it fly away, wow. meaning you do not like the stock, you'll see that wow. duck, that red duck. Taking off. In Guy's right. defense, Got it. it's it really confusing. It couldn't be clearer. <laughs> a crosshair. We're going to give this a, a try. Duck. Tim, okay. um, you kick it off. Exxon. Yeah, yeah I, I'm going to. I'll tell you what. So I'm going to um, hunt it. <laughs> no, whatever the green one is. I'm going to put it in my scope yeah. and do, do whatever. Uh, anyway, um, leaving aside, I love the bird, though, but the reason I'm actually going to continue to be bullish on this stock, 
put it in layman's terms, is because I think the energy sector is going to continue to outperform. The whole issue with Exxon, to me, is relative to their peers in the integrated space, I don't think it's that interesting. Um, but if you listen to their analyst day, which was just a couple days ago, these guys are going to give back $90 billion, or they're going to have $90 billion in free cash flow between 2019 and 2025 at a $60 oil price, which I think we're going to maintain. So um, I think it's interesting. I think it's outperformed the XLE. It's outperformed the S&P in the last two to three months. I, you know, so, I Tim, is oil, is that a big part of it? Because like, to me, I think the oil, crude oil, is one of the worst-looking charts in the market. And when you look at it, where it is relative to where it was just in the fall, I, I'm just saying it just it it's, really I mean, it's had this I, move I, back. You're going to let this I mean, one fly? Yeah, I'm letting this one fly. Uh, I, no, but what I'm saying is, is it, is it contingent on crude oil staying firm in the mid-50s and working its way into the 60s? It, let's put it this way. I, I think these, thing, these companies, these integrators are being run very differently than they were five years ago. So I think there's been a change in approach towards equity investors, not as opposed to debt investors. They're not growing at all costs. Right. So I think the companies run better. Well, I think the spending, entire sector. They're going to be spending a lot when others are cutting back. They're going to be was, spending that a lot. That was their thrust at the investor meeting. Well, but they're also there's going to be asset divestitures, and and you can make an argument that yeah, after you get take away some of that stuff, their free cash flow is not going to be all that impressive. I just think that the energy sector. So then to get into the macro call, I do think energy can hold here. I, I think supply demand right now. I'm not going to tell you where it is in two years. I'm going to tell you between now and nine months from now, I think energy is holding this level. All right, Karen's next. GM, General Motors, Karen, what do you say? Well, GM, I like GM, but it has nothing to do with the dividend. That happens Mm. to be an afterthought. You know, I hate this concept. We looked at like Kraft a year ago. You could have had, or not a year ago, a month ago was right. paying a 5% dividend. You're the GE, bird? a year ago, you 4% the bird? dividend. Hunting this it. one, I'm hunting. No, I like GM. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, it's an earnings play. I think they're doing an excellent job. I think clearly people are concerned peak auto and the earnings are going to come down. We've seen that in the multiple, which I think really reflects a you know pretty dramatic downturn in auto sales. I, I think they're doing the right things. I think they're tur- they've turned a corner for GM on a relative basis. I, I do agree. the business or the stock? Or what the you- business, the stock. I, I, do, I do believe that the stock will come in a bit. And I agree with Karen. You never want to go looking for the dividend because you could have the stock roll over and you give back whatever yield that you were searching in one day, two days, three days. But this is one that I would hunt. So I would be a buyer of it. Green. Very nice. All right. Dan is up. Dan knows how to play the game, I think. Philip Morris, Dan. Um, So here's one. You know, when uh, Bob Pisani was kind of giving us that lead and he was talking about how well some of these stocks are acting, I look at a stock like Philip Morris, which is up basically 10% in line with the S&P right here, but it's up 30% from its lows. Not its Christmas lows. It's January lows. This thing's kept on going down in January for fundamental reasons. So you got a near 6% dividend yield. It trades well below a market multiple. Um, Yeah, there is a little growth there. Cash flow uh, per share is actually going to be declined year over year. I'm letting this one fly. I just I, I don't right. like the relative performance here. Um, I, whatever no. it is, I, no. I'm doing that no. thing. I, wait, no. um, Come on, I just don't think go. you trade a name like this as controversial as it is um, in in this market. I just don't. And so, relative to the fact that it's up 30 percent um, from the lows in January, but only up 10 percent of the year, I don't like it. All right. Uh, next up, Grasso, <laughs> Steve. What do you say about Cody? Well, the reason why the yield is so high in Cody is because it had a string of earnings misses. The stock has been clobbered. The latest uh, pop in the stock was due to a headline that JAB was going to increase its holdings within it, its stake within the name itself. I don't think that this dividend is safe. I think that we're going to have to see what takes place over the next coming months. But if you have a problem with earnings, I don't think you should be hunting for this one. So I would let it fly. fly. All right. Thank you, Tim. 
Look, as much as I love Cody's uh, uh, products, uh, look, I, I, don't, I don't love the story at all, so I'm going to let it fly, whatever we're calling that. I'd sell yeah. it. Let sell it fly. Red the tail wagging the, the dog. The kids this today. Another metaphor. They're they're not it's just, it's just buy or They're let not it fly. using the Cody. You know what they're using? The Glossier. Dot com. The They're buying yeah. it up. They just Dan had this new launch the play. Yeah, I know. The kids Dan are buying it. Like it. Did you run out of yours? They bought it right away. Glossier Play, new line. <laughs> You're glowing today, by the way. You exfoliate before the show. It's all that Great. bronzer that Dan likes to use. Yeah. <laughs> and the Glossier. Um, but in terms of these stocks, what we're saying, I guess, is not necessarily hunt them specifically for the yield. But if you like the fundamentals of the stock, plus you get the kicker of that dividend yield, right. that could really help. That could help. So, right, exa- exactly that. To look at it the other way around, Cody's a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Don't and then if you want to go first. all options action on people yeah. Should we to do that? juice the dividend. Well, listen, there's a lot of things that you can do nice. in, a, in a name like Philip Morris. I just think it's really important. We talk about the range that it's in. You know, that dividend, you could lose it. If you're there for it, you can lose it in a day. So, you know what I mean? But like, there's also other strategies. You could buy the stock. You can sell out of the money calls, that sort of thing. Kind of juice the dividend. Yeah. Uh, how important is the dividend to you? Uh, very little. Um, but I, I, I would reiterate what's been said here. Let, let me throw a name that we didn't have in there. But, I, you know, AT&T. Bonus. I oh. actually think the Bonus fundamentals rounds. at AT&T are getting better. That's so a monster. It. That's a monster dividend. I would be AT&T. hunting. I'd be getting out my scope. There'd be a green thing, you know, whatever that was. And, and the reason for that is because this is a company that I think has actually started to divest some of that debt, et cetera. So um, dividend, not critical. All right. Uh, we have a news alert on Fed Chair Jerome Powell. Let's get to Eamon Javers in D.C. for the details. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, this is going to be must-see TV. CBS has just announced that Jay Powell, the Fed Chair, is going to be on 60 Minutes this weekend in an interview that has already been recorded. Uh, CBS saying that Powell sat down with CBS's Scott Pelley this week in Washington, D.C. for what they're calling a wide-ranging discussion that includes the Fed chairman's remarks on interest rates, the outlook for America's economy, and whether the U.S. financial system is vulnerable to cyber attacks. They also say that because the interview is on the uh, comes almost 10 years to the day since Pelley uh, interviewed then-Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke during the Great Recession. Bernanke and his successor, Janet Yellen, appear in the interview alongside Powell in one of the interviews for the report to discuss how they advised him to handle the job and the criticism that comes with it. That will obviously be fascinating viewing uh, and so interesting to see whether or not they discuss the criticism from here at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue from the President of the United States, who has been very critical of Jay Powell's approach uh, to handling interest rates at the Fed. Uh, We'll see whether they get into that at all in the interview. But that news uh, just breaking within the past couple of minutes there, Melissa. Wow. Uh, Eamon, thank you. Eamon Jabbers joining us from the White House. I don't even know where to go with this because it is so unusual, right, for a a sitting Fed chair to do a television interview. This is a Fed chair who has been talking almost nonstop. It has gotten him into trouble. October 2nd and 3rd the reason why the market started selling off. He was talking. That's where this is. This to me is unbelievable that he would do this. It's just the, the point is why? Yeah, why, why? Is, why is the acting Fed chairman point, yes. going on 60 Minutes? Look, 60 Minutes is going to do everything they can to stir the pot on this, uh, and I don't see why he's supposed to be sitting in there answering those questions. It's not a congressional hearing. It's not Humphrey Hawkins. This guy's the Fed chairman, and I don't think also the way this is interpreted on a Sunday night primetime audience is exactly how it should be interpreted in the context of of really talking to people in the Federal Reserve Bank. Did did even say that Bernanke and Yellen would also be? Yes. So, I, I mean, it was what, last week where Yellen was saying, I think that was sort of an interesting quote about that she believes Trump really doesn't understand 
I guess, the role of the Fed right. or what tools it has available, what they could really do. I mean, that'll be interesting. I think they'll probably come back to that, I would imagine. G- given the criticism that he's faced for the same reasons that, you know, that yeah. was everybody's first. I have to think this is going to be a very gently planned interview. The fact that Bernanke and Yellen are there, there's not going to be You think Scott Pelley's going to ask him about the pivot and no, I, I mean, the market? But, but maybe. But, 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 but again, like you guys have all said, he's really good with a script. He's going to have a yeah. script for this. There's not, not going to be anything. He was only good when he was reading right. off that he's piece of He's got to be reading paper. the script. <laughs> right. But uh, I, script. listen, we're not, we're not going to have the futures down, uh, you know, 10 points at, at at 6.45 p.m. on Sunday but, night. But leaving Saturday. aside why, I, I mean, why CBS, outside of nerds like us, why would they even put this on Sunday night primetime? Why do people really care? Um, I, why, why would the Fed chairman go on to 60 Minutes and, and give detail into well, here's anything? here's a conspiracy theory uh, for okay. you. Uh-oh. This is a Fed chairman who has met more times with Congress than any other sitting Fed president during this same amount of time in office. Mm. He may be on a public campaign to sort of bolster his support in in light of the president's criticism of him. Look, I, does that, does uh, that bolster allies uh, in Congress as well as in public? It sounds like the, the Fed being political. It sounds like I the Fed know. going on a political campaign, which is not what we're well, Okay, let me give you a different is. conspiracy. Th- okay. That he wants to soothe p- any fears people have about the economy. Yes. Right? So we talked to, we were going to talk about job growth uh-huh. and how the economy's doing. If that were the case, yeah, I, don't I wouldn't think love that job, as much. I don't think that's his job either. Why our fears about right, the economy? Right. What? Why, I don't understand why he needs to soothe our fears about the economy. I don't either. It's just a conspiracy yeah, guys, theory what, that I just worked on just now. We did have Humphrey He was in front of Congress for, what, two days last week or something yeah. like that. A lot of questions were asked. But at the end of the day, you know, when we came into, at some point in 2018, there was an expectation of three rate increases for this year. That is now obviously off the table. There's a 0% chance of that. A lot of people think the next move is going to be lower. I think the notion of him explaining to the American people a very controversial sort of monetary policy, but a very controversial thing, explain it to him. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just don't, and I, I'm not, I would not expect him to make a big mistake. I would not expect anything to come out that's going to be that market moving either. Still ahead, check out shares of Costco. They are jumping after the earnings report. That stock up double digits this year. We'll tell you what is driving that move. Plus, Crosso stepping up to the plate, getting ready to pitch one soaring stock. He says will be a home run, home run. That's a hint for investors. Find out the mm. name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Despite the sell-off today, home builders rallying with the ITB home construction ETF up more than a percent as Zellman upgraded Toll Brothers to a buy. This is by J.P. Morgan downgrading the stock to a sell. The group has actually been on fire this year, up nearly 20 percent with names like Lennard, D.R. Horton, Lowe's, Toll Brothers leading the charge. And Grasso says one of these names is about to see a bigger breakout. He's over at the plaza to give us his fast pitch. Grasso, take it away. That's right. So Lenar right now. Now, you could have... Uh, said this about the home builders for a while now, but there is pent up demand to the tune of about 3 million new homes. So let's, ju- let's just look at that. Now, what, what does that mean? Housing starts right now, we're at one and a quarter million. Uh, normalized rate is one and three quarter million. You have to make up this probably in the next five or six years if we get to uh, back to a normalized state. So if you do that, you're doubling pretty much where we're at right now as far as the housing starts. So that's going to be a huge tailwind for the, let's go back to the other screen for one second. So that's going to be a huge tailwind for the market. Now, if you look at the, the move that, that uh, uh, Lennar has had, 
tremendous, right? So, but it's also bounced off the recent low. So it's had a pretty good move off the recent low, but in years where it's been off, like last year, tremendously where the home builders are under pressure, they outperform drastically. So where you see this basically is that everyone's negative. Let's go to the chart now. So if you have basically <coughs> a normal recovery from here, you're looking at a maybe 10 to 15% upside from where we're already at on this bounce from the recent low. If you get something more substantial, you can get back here and you're looking at a pretty incredible move here with a stock that's already up. A lot has to go right, but a lot has already factored in that's gone wrong. Um, hey, Steve, so you got the chart up there. So I just pulled this thing up, and, and obviously the stock is, is kind of rallying. It had decent results, and it, re it reacted well in early January, but it's kind of stalled out. It got up to 50 bucks, and it literally got rejected. That looks like massive technical resistance right there. Um, is that a worry of yours near term, getting through that 50 level? Definitely. 50 is the, is the massive level, as you just said, Dan. And what happened right here was that ISI came out with a negative piece on the home builders. And the negative piece was they've run too much. They didn't really say that fundamentally that there were things that were going to go wrong for the builders. They just said time to lock in profits because it ran this much. You can't argue with their call, but I do believe that this level will be taken out and you're going to be closer to this level sooner rather than later. No more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying or selling Ross's pitch on Lennar? Tim. Um, I'm sorry, Steve. I'm a seller. I actually think that these home builders are, are a bit of short covering. I think they gave not great guidance, and they said they're not going to give guidance, and it sounded kind of soft to me. So, uh, But you do have a beard in my picture, which is... You know, <laughs> That's a good semi-detached home you got there. Thank you. Yeah. Karen, yes. buying your selling. I'm going to buy. I like this. I mean, I think that the interest rate move, not the little one today, but the interest rate move should help. Employment numbers being so good should help. Not at crazy expensive. I like it. Uh, I'm a seller. It wasn't a bad pitch whatsoever. I just don't think that interest rates going down this way are going to be beneficial to U.S. consumers at this point. So, I, I mean, to me, I'm just not. And I don't think the jobs data where we're getting the gains are not the people that are going to be buying Lennar homes right now. All right. Well, more importantly, are you at home buying uh, Grosso's pitch for Lennar? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll reveal the results later in the show. And I don't know if it's going to be Tony Braxton. Oh, but, or but are you? Your life. Are you? I'm not sure. We've I don't know. Song. We'll see. We've got a new song. Speaking of Twitter, check out Shares of the Stock uh, and other social players all sinking today. And one trader is betting that one of those names could continue to plunge. We'll break it down when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you. Check out shares of Costco rising in the after hours, erasing losses from the day. The bulk wholesale store up nearly 5% after beating analyst expectations. Costco now up more than 10% this year. So do you buy Costco in bulk, Karen? Uh, I got nice. that. That's funny. Um, sadly, I don't. I don't own it. I wish I owned it in bulk. I mean, again, they put up really good numbers. Um, they seem to do everything right, I got to say. However, the stock is priced it's a premium to, you know, others in the space. I'm in Target. Um, I don't think I could pull the trigger up 10 bucks. Great earnings. They're doing a great job. They always do. They execute. But how does this, price very well. How does this company uh, compete in the world of an Amazon, right, yeah, where you, you can know, just order things online? It's actually a great point, but it's when you think about amazing. it, how convenient is it when you go to a Costco, you can get what you want, you can get it in bulk. And when you're looking at bulk buying, I think there's a difference about what Amazon, what that customer 
uh, really competes with versus the person who wants to show up and buy for it's a like restaurant. A sport. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just yeah. and what do you buy in bulk? Yeah. What do you buy in bulk? What do you got Underwear. He <laughs> rips right through. M-I. Wow. All right. Still ahead. Social butterflies. Snap. Facebook. Twitter up double digits off the December lows. But one trader is betting one of those stocks could lose its wings. And we've got the details. We're live at Times Square at the NASDAQ. Back right after this. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. Social media stocks, Facebook, Twitter, and Snap all falling today. This following a post written by Mark Zuckerberg discussing privacy and the future of Facebook called a privacy-focused vision for social networking, saying he believes, quote, a privacy-focused communications platform will become even more important than today's open platform. So a bit of a pivot from Zuckerberg, but is this uh, too little too late? Tim. No, I don't think it's too little too late. And I I commend them for, I mean, what seems like philosophically a bit of a business pivot. And let's see where this goes with advertising and and ultimately uh, with engagement. I will say this, what I've been critical about. Look, CapEx went up in 2018 uh, from $2.2 billion to $7.2. They're expected already guided up another 4 to $5 billion from there. So this is a company whose costs have to be going significantly higher from here. I still think they've got security issues. Uh, I don't think it's going to zero, but I'm not bullish on it. I don't know if this is a security pivot or a PR pivot, really, right? I mean, it seems very vague to me on what exactly this future would be like and when, and I didn't get the feeling that it was to the exclusion of the rest of the business. To me, it just seemed PR. All right. Um, Options traders are betting on even more trouble ahead for the social stocks. Dan's breaking it down, Dan. Well, let's look at Snap here. I mean, obviously, that was the one I think in focus when they're talking about direct messaging. Um, To me, it actually goes the opposite way. The fact that stock was only down 4%, I thought was pretty good. And it actually shows that they're doing something right because Facebook wants to go after what they do really well. Um, There was a trade that caught my eye today in Snap. Stock was down, like I said, 4%. Shortly after the opening, stock was trading about 950. There was a buyer, 6,000 of the May. Uh, eight puts, paying 42 cents for those. Those break even at 7.58 on May expiration. Um, you know, maybe this is a long looking for some protection. We have a uh, three-month chart here. This stock almost doubled off of its December lows here. Look at that gap that we're looking about. Um, you know, that maybe some protection to fill in that gap between now and May expiration that should catch their next earnings. Real quickly on the one-year chart, just shows you where this stock has come from um, on the upside and now on you know the rebound off the lows here. So. So, uh, you know, listen, this is an expensive way to punt for a 20 percent move um, in Snap. But to me, I actually think this Facebook move is a validation of what they do well. And don't forget, I mean, Facebook's copied them before. It hurt them right out of the gate a couple years ago. But now it may make Snap a very scarce profit uh, property, in my opinion. All right. For more options action, check out the full show. That's tomorrow, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, the results of the poll and the final trade. Welcome back. Time to reveal the results of our Twitter poll, and Russell lost badly. So we had to go classic. Didn't see that coming. Classic Braxton's Unbreak My Heart. I thought I was going to win this time. This is the original version, Grasso, just for you. Thank you. She's been a constant indicator. Big Tony Braxton. All right. So is a Ridge Braxton like really didn't like as bad as it gets now? Uh, No, there's still Celine Dion. Oh, that's true. Uh, Time for the final trade, Tim. Well, thank goodness we're not doing the dance version with Celine Dion. Um, How about yield hunting with Chevron? I actually think this is the best of breed in the integrated space. Chevron. Chairwoman. Yes, on a similar vibe. Not yield hunting, but it happens to have a great yield. It's GM. It's value hunting. And I like it. And if we get a trade deal, I think it's going higher. 
Grasso. So I lost with Lennar. Is that what you were trying to think? Yeah. yeah. I yeah. lost the poll. <laughs> yeah. I'm driving at. So I'm going to pick Lennar as my final <laughs> trade. So two negatives, maybe a positive. All right, Dan. I'm going to do a little yield punting here. I'm going to look to the TLT. It basically got rejected six times over the last year at 122-ish or something like that. If it gets through there, I think it's going much higher TLT. You're punting. Got it. Uh, That does it for us here on Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.